This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Finding Your Bliss with host Judy Liebrach, heard every Saturday at 1 p.m. on Zoomer Radio. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Finding Your Bliss, the show that helps you find and follow your bliss. I'm Judy Liebrach, and today we're going to spend the hour talking all about entertainment and how to be entertained at home when we aren't able to go into restaurants and bars and theaters. And with us to share his top picks for the best new movies out there right now and some fabulous new television series, we have film critic extraordinaire and very nice guy, Tom Ernst, back on the show again. And we're so excited to dive right in. Let me tell you a little bit more about Tom Ernst. Tom Ernst is a Toronto-based writer, film critic, producer, and broadcaster. He is an active member of the TFCA, that's the Toronto Film Critics Association, and a frequent host and guest at many film events, galas, and festivals. He was the voice of the interviews on TVO's longest-running movie program, Saturday Night at the Movies. And Tom also appears as a regular commentator on the agenda with Steve Pagan, CBC Radio Fresh Air, and CBC Radio Syndication. Tom's written work has appeared in many publications, including the Toronto Star, Playback Magazine, and the National Post. He currently writes film reviews for Original Sin website and appears as a regular guest on Hollywood Suites' A Year in Film. Tom has his own podcast with the Kingston Canadian Film Festival called Rewind, Fast Forward, and... Drum roll. Tom has a book coming out later this year. Tom, welcome back, Finding Your Bliss. It's so great to have you back again. I, I love being back on this. And I, I, just the title of your show just make, calms me down when I know that I'm going to be on Find Your Bliss. I go, oh, I can relax. This is, this is, this is a great show where I just get to share my ideas. How, how lovely is that? Well, we love having you and we typically have you on for Christmas. And as I mentioned, this past year, Zoomer just played Christmas music, so we didn't have a show. But that's why we're so happy to see you now early on in the new year of 2022. And and to kick things off, you had a phenomenal idea that you talked to me about before this show, which was to ask your daughter for some of her favorite picks for TV series in a brand new feature that we're going to call Shows My Teenager Makes Me Watch. Love mm-hmm. that. And and I think the best part for our listeners is that you can actually watch these shows with your teenager or young adult. So I love that. What a fantastic idea. Why don't we start with a show that I find fascinating that you recommended and your daughter recommended called Midnight Diner, which is a Japanese soap opera about the clientele of a Japanese diner that opens at midnight. It's so compelling. I was watching it uh, quite a bit this week and it's, you know, it's a series. Can you tell us more about the series and about these very compelling characters? Do you know, I I have to say that, yes, when I asked my daughter to pick these shows and she gave me three, I began watching them. And the first initial, you know, uh, well, even with this one that we're talking about, Midnight Diner, when we're talking about, uh, we see the, the woman who is a dancer at the beginning. And I think, oh, no, 
<laughs> I can't believe what have I, I'm a bad parent. <laughs> and what's Judy going to think of me? But as but as the show progresses, there is such magic to this show about this Japanese man who is never named. We don't know his name. He owns this restaurant, and he has a scar across his eye, and we don't know how that came about. He never tells his own story, which I think is fascinating. Maybe he does by the end of the series. It goes on for four years, uh, and I haven't gotten there yet. But so we have this mystery, and he makes these meals, and it seems to be one dish that <laughs> sort of affects a character, and it's often a new character that comes onto the scene. I, I, I equate it to sort of a, a TV series like um, the, the movie with an, the angel that comes down and helps somebody each episode, and Littlest Hobo even, for that matter. Mm. Just these characters that come in and out of this restaurant. It is so moving. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm glad you felt that way, Judy, because uh, um, it took me a while to get into it. At least it took me to the second episode where I really found the magic in the series. And one of the magical moments is at the end of every episode, we revisit the dish to the audience. We either learn how to make it or we just sort of revisit the, the joy of enjoying that meal. What a wonderful concept. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty proud of my daughter for this one. It, she has to read the subtitles. She doesn't speak Japanese, <laughs> as far as I know. She does a lot of things that I don't know. <laughs> as far as I know, she doesn't speak Japanese. Uh, I know that she loves Asian cuisine, so that was probably the in for her. But um, she's been recommending it to her friends, and her friends are enjoying it. Um, I find it surprising that a 15-year-old uh, would have the patience for this uh, series. But it's not just her. It's it's her friends, too, across the board. So I really think this is a wonderful f um, TV series uh, that takes some patience. Uh, and uh, I think there, it's very rewarding when you do. I want to thank your daughter for the recommendation because it's just fabulous, and I can't wait to keep watching it. It is available on Netflix. And do we have a budding film critic in your daughter's? Do you think she might follow in your footsteps? Well, she, she won't if she heard us say that. <laughs> but uh, I, I remember, oh, a very quick story. I remember she was only three or four years old, probably four. And I really wanted her to see Mary Poppins, which was one of my, the original, um, I, which was one of my favorite films. And I had her sit down and watch it. And she got as far as to where the uh, nannies uh, were lined up and got blown away. She got as far as to that. And I go, what do you think, honey? Uh, and she said, Dad, I just don't know what you see in this. <laughs> <laughs> so I always like to think I have a mind. Oh, that's critic. hilarious. <laughs> mm -hmm. that's, I, I like that. She's discerning too. That's great. I also loved your daughter's recommendation. I'm not okay with this. This is a series that your daughter says might be a little bit too old for her, but she loved it nonetheless. Can you tell us a little bit about I'm Not Okay With This? I have to confess, I watched about the first 20 minutes because I had so much to watch. But I, I found that character, the girl that's bullied, to be very fascinating. And I'm really looking forward to watching more of it. What, what are your thoughts on I'm Not Okay With This? Again, this is another, you know, I think in every single case of, of my daughter's recommendation, I was terrified for the first 10 or 15 minutes. Uh, it's very raw. The, the show, and it's about this girl who gets bullied that somehow develops or discovers 
this mental power she has, this capacity to sort of explode things and knock things down, trees, etc. Now, she's an LGBTQ uh, character, and she is in love with her best friend. Uh, her best friend is not, as far as I got into the series, uh, uh, LGBTQ. Her best friend's going to the prom with, with another guy, and she seems very upset. And she's, are you sure about this? Are you sure you want to go to the yes. prom with this guy? And she's like, yeah, <laughs> I do. Yes, I don't know if you got as far as how she deals with that. Oh, you didn't. You got into 20 minutes, but yeah. it's quite explosive. Let's just say that. Oh, boy. <laughs> there's, a, there's, there's a secondary character in there, this young man who is equally awkward, uh, bullied by his father, um, and he was in love with the main character. And I found him fascinating, too. Now, it's very raw, and there will be some people who will be uncomfortable watching this with their teens. Um, and again, as you said, my daughter did say, okay, this is a little bit old for me. She's incredibly good at uh, editing herself and censoring what she watches. Um, that I really don't feel like I have to interfere with that, because she does it all on her own. Uh, and she did get to the point where she thought, okay, I'm going to wait a few years before I watch any any more of this. Um, but I found the rawness and the sincerity of these characters uh, in this series really sort of uh, a breath of fresh air. They're teenagers that you would probably, if you were to cross them, you would go, oh, kids. But um, <laughs> they're real, you know, That's so and funny. they're, they're pained. And uh, I think the show really takes its time in uh, presenting these characters. And as I say, I particularly like this young man who has uh, a crush on, uh, on our lead. We actually have a clip from the film courtesy of 21 Laps Entertainment, Ceremony Pictures and Raindrops Valley and Netflix, the distributor. Let's roll a clip from I'm Not Okay With This. My name is Sydney. I'm a boring 17-year-old white girl. I'm not special. Yippee. Might help with your moods. I keep losing my temper. I don't want to, but it just spills out. Hey, Sid. Hey, Stanley Barber. He lives down the street from me. Shoes. Who needs them? My best friend is Dina. She's dating golden boy Bradley Lewis. <laughs> Do you ever smile? <sighs> anyway, my dad died last spring. And now everything's so different. Dear diary, when does this get easier? It's probably just puberty. Wow. Mm -hmm. Oh, so good. I, I love the scene also where the, I guess it's the guidance counselor is telling this girl, our lead, that she has to start keeping a diary to start expressing her feelings. What else uh, did you get from this clip? What did I get from this clip? Yeah. Uh, there was so, um, there was so much actually to, uh, to take from it. And it was hard for me to sort of piece it together, remembering what scenes, et cetera, that were, were popping up in there. But she does introduce Stanley, uh, who is the young man I was telling you about. And um, the boyfriend who is not, you know, initially to our side, her, her best friend's boyfriend, uh, initially to our side is necessarily a, a, a bad guy, but we know he's wrong for her. Right. <laughs> um, but what I got from this clip is just that sort of um, pathos, that teenagers feel yeah. and how hard it is to express themselves. And I love the fact that she sees herself as 
boring and ordinary. Yes. Of course, somebody who does a show called uh, Finding Your Bliss recognizes that no one is particularly boring <laughs> and ordinary. But a team doesn't always recognize that. Exactly. Especially not you, Tom Ernst. Um, <laughs> your daughter also recommended an animated series called Close Enough. And as you mentioned about a week ago, your daughter told you that you've already watched the show with her and that you loved it and that you weren't sure if you remembered it or not. So I'm wondering if you've had a chance to watch it again. I have to tell you, I didn't watch this one, but I did get my associate producer, who you just met, Shelly Koskinen, to watch it. And I'm going to be honest, she didn't love it. She found the humor a little crude, and she said to each their own. So I'd love to hear your <laughs> thoughts on it. <laughs> yeah, my thoughts are to each their own. Um, I tend to think this is, again, you know, I just thought, oh, what what have I done? I've been not watching my daughter's... Uh, uh, <laughs> and, and, and then I sort of confronted her, I said... I let you watch this? And she said, yes, you watched it with me. You said it was okay. So I don't know what was happening. Um, I certainly found it funny, but I think I I, I don't recommend this for anybody um, if, if under at least the age of 15. Again, I, I'm allowing my daughter her ability to see this if she thinks she can deal with and handle it. I'm surprised because she's very sensitive to a lot of things that this show doesn't seem sensitive at all to. Um, I, I'm a fan of this kind of outrageous animation, you know, like South Park. I mean, it be, began with The Simpsons and then we moved to South Park and then things just got greater as we went along. Um, so I did enjoy it. Um, but I do find it incredibly uh, adult. Um, now, the thing is, is uh, my daughter sold me on seeing the show again. But as anybody who has known comedy or, 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 reckon, or been to a comedy show, that there's kind of a no-holds-bar going on mm -hmm. here. So mm -hmm. not for everyone's taste. Not for everyone's taste, but, but good, good to know. Fantastic. So as you know, Tom, and I know we talked about this in the virtual green room before the show as well. Um, like you, I'm a huge musical theater fan. My daughter's a musical theater performer, fourth year Sheridan. And so West Side Story by Steven Spielberg. And after being delayed for nearly a year due to the COVID-19 pandemic, West Side Story arrived in theaters on December 10th. I know it's supposed to be... Um, uh, live streamed again or streamed again rather on Disney Plus and the subscription starts at $7.99 a month. But as our supervising producer Mag Ruffman says, if you were to go out for a night of the theater and pay for two tickets and parking and maybe dinner, it would be a lot more for a whole year than just with this Disney subscription. And it, so it's so worth it is what she's saying to see it. I've only seen the trailer, but I'm so excited uh, for when you come back again on the program, and we're not going to wait a whole year for that, and we've both seen it. But for right now, what can you tell us about this remake of West Side Story? Well, in the case, everything I'm going to tell you is hearsay and, and what I read uh, from the trades, etc. But what I understand is Spielberg has really reinterpreted uh, West Side Story uh, from the stage not from the movie. So don't be confused that uh, Spielberg is remaking a classic. He is not. He is making another version of the stage play that you see. And I understand that what Spielberg does uh, and what some people are saying are, are surpasses the, the original film, uh, Robert Wise's film, is that he makes it more, um, the segregation of communities is more prominent. And, the, and I, I, this is told through particular scene that I, I read about, and that is the balcony scene or the, the, the fire escape scene, where Tony and uh, the Natalie Wood character, Maria, thank you, Tony and Maria are divided 
uh, and the stairway, the, the bars are shadowed over top of them. So the separation seems more prevalent and it seems almost um, politically on fire. Mm-hmm. Yet it's still that jovial, not, like, there's still that great, those great numbers, Officer Krupke and America, et cetera, which I, I can't wait to see how he reinterprets the America scene, which is one of the great dance sequences on film. Mm-hmm. See, even I'm doing it. I'm comparing the, the current movie with the, the past movie. But um, of course, you know. of course. And what I find so cool is that the woman who played Anita, Rita, Rita Moreno, who won the uh, the Best Actress Award, I believe, that year, yep. um, is playing Doc in this new film. So how cool is that? We actually have a clip. It's from the trailer, but I just, the music is so glorious. I wanted to share it with our listeners. The credit goes to Amblin Entertainment, TSG Entertainment, and 20th Century Distributor. Let's roll that clip from the new version, Steven Spielberg's version of West Side Story. I never seen you before. I'm a Puerto Rican. Is that okay? Do you want to start World War III? You know, I wake up to everything I know either getting sold or wrecked or being taken over by people that I don't like. You keep away from him as long as you're in my house. I'm a grown-up now, Bernardo. I'm going to think for myself. Tony, we need you if we're going to war. Who are you? Friend or foe? If you go with him, no one will ever forgive you. Life matters even more than love. You were singing the lyrics in your head, weren't you, Jean? I sure, I sure was doing that. And and also, I have to tell you honestly, thinking of Natalie Wood, but I think this new Maria is doing a beautiful job. The music just gives me the chills when she sings yeah. Tonight, Tonight. Oh, my God. Even in the trailer, we didn't get that far in the trailer. But my goodness, it's so gorgeous. Well, and I think it's interesting to point out, too, that the writer of this screenplay uh, is Tony Kushner. And if anybody ever seen the remarkable uh, uh, Angels Over America, uh, a Tony Award winning a play, mm. uh, he wrote that. And so there's just so much remarkable talent in, in this mm. film. It's just it's just incredible. And speaking of musicals, another one of your recommendations, because, again, you, you said something we both love is, is 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 musicals, was your fabulous pick of the series Schmigadoon available on Apple TV. And I've got to tell you, I found it last night. I needed my husband to help me get my Apple TV going. So it took a while. But once I went got on it, I couldn't stop watching. I think I watched uh, quite a bit of it because I it's many, many episodes. I think it's eight episodes. I don't know if I got to a third episode, but it has a fabulous cast, including Keenan Ivory Wayans, Cicely Strong, Martin Short, who plays that little leprechaun. That was yeah. a very fun moment. Can you tell us about Schmigadoon? 
So this is a Lauren Michaels uh, production uh, of Saturday Night Live. And, and that's why we see a lot of Saturday Night Live, Live characters uh, or actors playing characters in this. And basically, it's a couple who believe they're in the ideal relationship, but the fact is very different. And so they go on a, um, a, a getaway to help strengthen their relationship. And they end up in a small village by crossing this bridge that happens to be a 1950s musical. And it has all the tropes of that musical, aside from the fact that there are certain characters that sort of break the mold of the 1950s. Like uh, Alan Cummings is, is a, a man, a closeted gay man who uh, is is not able to come out in the first or one or two episodes anyway. And we also have a black character from who is also fighting, you know, the certain prejudice of the era. But still, we've got the whole scope of 1950s musicals. Now, if Schmigadoon sounds slightly familiar, uh, it's, of course, it's sort of based on the idea of Brigadoon, which is uh, a Scottish village that comes alive once every hundred years. I don't remember what the lineage is on that. And uh, these two, this couple who hate musicals, one of them does, um, is trapped here and they <laughs> learn to get along. And in this, this little community, and what's interesting is they also, quite realistically, I think, learn how to become part of that um, uh, uh, community singing and dancing. They learn how to keep up with the steps. They learn how to keep up with the lyrics. <laughs> um, and it's, it all makes kind of a weird, weird sense in a way. And it works, though. That's the funniest thing. Mm -hmm. At the beginning, I thought, what is this? This is There's just too much unreality. This is too much fantasy. But then all of a sudden, you get hooked. And it really does work. And it's so enjoyable. And uh, I loved seeing Kristen Chenoweth playing that character of the, uh, I don't know if she's like the school marm or whatever she is, but yeah. she's very strict. You're not allowed to. Uh, well, you have to see. But it's, she's fabulous in it. And we actually have a clip from Schmigadoon, courtesy of Broadway Video, out of sync, Universal Television, and Apple TV, the distributor. Let's have a listen. Schmigadoon. Welcome to our little town. Where friends are all you meet. Must be something they do for tourists. Hey, everyone. Hey there, Pete. Woo! Can we go now? Already? What? We can't leave. It's like magic. We're in an actual musical. Please, God, no. Everybody! He said, we're only here till we found true love. Do you think this is true love? Oh, it's so good. It's just so, so it's so feel good. Uh, also, I want to ask you, Tom, do you feel that there are more movie musicals being made? If you look at Wicked and and uh, something we're going to be talking about in a moment, another film. But it just seems like we're, we're, we're having all of these musical films all of a sudden. Is this becoming a trend? It's interesting. For years and years and years, uh, people have said the musical will never come back, just like the Western will never come back. And uh, they made several attempts to bring back the musical and, and they've not quite worked, but all of a sudden it's, it seems to be exactly as you said, Judy, they seem to be coming back. And I was thinking about that. Um, and I'm, and I wonder if, you know, musicals were big uh, in the wartime, you know, when we needed a really big, fantastical escape. Yes. I'm wondering if we're not kind of in a health war right now, uh, you know, uh, and I wonder if this is, you know, 
what's coming out of it. We just need these big escapes and nobody is really minding that their people are breaking out in song and dance. You know, I, uh, I don't quote myself very often. Uh, but I will this time. I remember introducing a musical uh, to a program and people were saying, yeah, but the problem with musicals is people don't sing and dance in real life. I said, no, 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 no. That's the problem with real life. <laughs> people should sing and dance. <laughs> and, um, you know, I remember my, my parents, very, very strict Christian that used to tell me, well, heaven could be anything I want it to be when I was little. <laughs> and so I went, great. I can't wait. It's a musical. <laughs> and I was thought, this is fantastic. And my parents, I could see them going, no, that's not what we meant. Aww. But um, <laughs> that's lovely. I do think, I do think they're coming back uh, and whether they'll stay, whether they have staying power yet to see, but they're good. There's some really good ones coming out. It's so exciting. I love it. And of course, because we can't go to as much theater right now. I mean, I know you can on Broadway, but theater is in a funny place right now, other than Broadway, which is trying to open and is opening. So I think this is a way for people to actually connect to musicals and enjoy them while they can't physically go into the theater. But hopefully that's going to change. I just want to say to all the musical theater operations out there, because we're, we're uh, rooting for you. There's so many great films, and I have to tell you one that I adored. We're going to hear about one of my favorite films of the year, and I can't wait to hear what you think of it, Tom. We'll be right back with Tom Ernst and some great movies that Tom is recommending when we come back, back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility centre for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We are back, and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And I'm here with esteemed movie and television critic, Tom Ernst. And we were just talking before the break about one of my favorite films of the year. And I watched in the last couple of days was The Eyes of Tammy Faye about the rise and fall of Christian phenomenon, Tammy Faye Baker. I always love Tammy Faye. And I think Jessica Chastain gives a stellar performance. And Andrew Garfield as Jim Baker is fantastic as well. I really, really loved it. And I know you had mentioned it's not being particularly well received by critics. You being one of the exceptions that you loved it too. I was crazy for it. I could see it again. Yeah. I'm really actually baffled with my uh, colleagues <laughs> on this one. And I've even, I even emailed one, uh, one of my colleagues who wrote for the same venue that I write for, who reviewed this film. And because of that person's review, we won't shame them on your show. No. <laughs> because of that person's review, uh, I didn't bother seeing it. Then all of a sudden I had to see it because of voting. Uh, you, we vote for best film, et cetera. And I, I thought, okay, well, Jessica's obviously in the running. So I had to see the film. I was so moved by this character. And the thing is, she was, 
you can argue that she was a sort of a feminist and knew what she was doing and, and, and broke down the barriers of these, these gigantic men in this, this institution. I actually am a little cynical about that. I don't think Tammy Faye actually was aware of what she was doing. No. I think she just did what her instincts told her to do and didn't think twice to, about decorum or anything else surrounding it. Her main thing was to be treat people decently, yes. to treat them honestly, and she, and she acted accordingly. She acted from her instinct and her heart. It wasn't always wise. It was often ridiculous, and it was frequently she was persecuted behind her back mm-hmm. um, for the way she looked and her idea. Come on, that makeup was kind of ridiculous, but it didn't matter. She was who she was, and so genuine. I don't have a lot of empathy for this kind of um, Christian big church money grabbing institute that I think these Jimmy and Tammy Faye Baker represented, but I think she's an exception. I think she was the, the one genuine soul in that whole sort of scope of organization. I love this film and I love Jessica's performance. I agree. I I think she's up for some serious awards and uh, just it's incredible that scene when she reunites with her husband in prison. uh, So poignant and just all of it. I just I couldn't get enough of it. So I'm so glad. I know you want to move on, but I got to just say I got to get your reaction. The scene when they first go to dinner uh, at that uh, that barbecue uh, and little things like she says, you know, the, the woman is wearing a mink and, and Tammy says, yes. she's got to be hot. And then later <laughs> on, she's wearing a mink. She's wearing a mink too. She's wearing a mink yeah. too. And they, they, they carry that mink theme all the way through because when her mom passes, yes. a friend a friend of the mom brings the mink I think that's when they've stepdad. lost everything. Or her stepdad, that's right. Yeah. And and now everything it has been gone and taken from them. They lost everything, kind of like that first scene in Shit's Creek when everything is removed from the mansion. That's what that scene reminded me of. And then all of a sudden, he, in he brings the stepfather, that's right, brings in her mink. The mother had taken that. Yeah. I so mean, many beautiful, wonderful little characters. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. Yeah. We actually have a little clip. And I know we have so much more. This is a, a wonderful moment in the film that I want to share, courtesy of TSG Entertainment, Freckle Films, MWM Studios, Semi-Formal Pictures, and Searchlight Pictures Distributor. Let's have a listen to this clip from the eyes of Tammy Faye. Art is blind. These eyes. Everybody. I just want to love people. Every night. The devil's coming for me, Tammy. Can we talk about Satan later, Jim? is a patient of AIDS. I can't look at this. You need to get her under control. I built you an empire. You built you an empire. Some people, they're just hurting so bad and we just need to love them. I want to put my arm around you. And I want to put my arms around you, Tammy Faye. Go for it, looking in the rear view mirror of my life. This is who I am. Ah, oh. yeah. And I spent a great deal of time after that movie was over going through YouTube to see whatever clips existed of uh, of Tammy Faye, both that were recreated in the film and afterwards. And uh, it's really it's really quite touching. Like the the movies 
the reality of Tammy Faye extends far beyond the film. And uh, I think that's what the film does. I don't think it tries to glorify her in any way. It simply shows her who, who she was. Like the fur coat incident that we're talking about shows that she was just as capable of falling into the financial money trap as everybody else. She just wasn't the conniving personality. Uh, she didn't have that in her. She truly loved the people she talked to and and what she did for the LGBTQ oh, community. Uh, you know, she was just completely engaged. I don't think there was anybody that woman disliked. You're Not right. even her husband at the end. Which, You're right. She even had compassion mm-hmm. for him. And But that scene where she's talking, it's almost like via satellite to the AIDS patient. And she's mm-hmm. and just the way she, you, you could feel her just wrapping her arms around that person and, and loving him. And yeah. yeah, like, I mean, that's the kind of movie we need to see that. That's what we need more of in our life. That kind of putting love in your heart. Yeah. You know, at, at all times, but I would say now especially. I also have to rave about Tick, Tick, Boom on Netflix. I saw it with my husband. We both were madly in love with it. Um, I, there's so much that I, I love about that. Um, and that the star of Tick, Tick, Boom was also the same actor who played Jim Baker in the eyes of mm-hmm. Danny Faye. Completely different performance. What did you think of Tick, Tick, Boom? Well, Tick, Tick, Boom was one of my favorite films of the year. I love this. And Andrew Garfield is the gentleman we're talking about in this case. And he plays uh, the famed playwright. Uh, This, by the way, is the uh, directorial debut of Lin-Manuel Miranda, uh, of course, from Hamilton. And um, Garfield plays the real-life, very tragic playwright Jonathan Larson, who did Rent, which was a phenomenon. It just, I think it redefined, well, it says, the, it, I do remember that in the Tick, Tick, Boom, they say that Rent redefined what a musical could be. I remember thinking, yeah, maybe not. <laughs> but even so, it was still a powerful, powerful uh, production, Rent. And mm. uh, I don't want, if those who don't know the story of Jonathan Larson, I won't give it away, even though it's not a secret. It's a beautiful story about uh, a man's fight for their dreams. And the persistence that it took for him to get to where he is. And I'm sure there's elements in this musical um, that were sort of fabricated. I mean, it says as much right at the beginning, this is a true story, except for the parts that were made up, Um, (laughs) you know, uh, and his relationship with, with the beautiful uh, Alexandra ship as Susan in the film. And it's just, um, it's, it's just so, it was so engaging. The numbers were fantastic. It reminded me a lot of Cabaret. Yes. In that there were stage performances offset against musical performances uh, live. And it was also most of the musical numbers, I got to think about that. Is it most, some of the musical numbers, let's just say, were done in a way that they were like performances in the living room or, uh, you know, outside, whatever. But it still was a fantasy, particularly the diner scene. Yes, yes. So fantastic. The clip that we have um, has a line, which I think every budding writer would love to hear or be reminded of. Let's have a listen. And let's roll the clip from Tick, Tick, Boom, which is credited to Imagine Entertainment, 5,000 Broadway Productions, and Netflix. Let's have a listen to this clip from Tick, Tick, Boom. Hello. Hi. Welcome. I'm Jonathan Larson. I am 29 years old. I work at the Moondance Diner. Check. One sec. 
Do we take reservations? No, we do not take. We're we're a diner. I have an original rock musical. Hey, boy genius. That I have spent the last eight years of my life writing. He's getting out. You're gonna be rich and famous. And rewriting. Did you crack it yet? Oh, I'm getting so close. And rewriting. Can I hear it? Any day now. Eight years. And the time keeps ticking. Tick, tick. You need to ask: Are you letting yourself be led by fear or by love? Fear. A hundred percent fear. I don't know what the show is. Why do we play with fire? What if the workshop happens and nothing changes? What then, Jonathan? Maybe I'm just wasting my time. Do you know how many Jonathan Larsons there are? One. Why should we blaze a trail? There's not enough time. I went to three friends' funerals last year, and nobody is doing enough. I'm not doing enough. Try writing about what you know. Wonderful advice for aspiring writers, but even for writers who have been doing this for a long time. We get we get mixed up when we start trying to do what the audience wants instead of what we know about people will always lean into that. So I just love that part of the clip. But just about his whole journey, the frustration, the eight years, uh, you know, all the stuff. I'm not going to give it away of what happened afterwards when he finally did it. What What are your yeah. thoughts on just and, and you can relate because you are a writer as well to that just the writing process and the agony and sharing and bearing your soul and all of that stuff. When when I th- watch these kind of films, and I I tend before going in, I think, oh, this is going to be such drudgery. I'm I'm going to have to watch him fail after time or time or her fail, whatever the situation is. Um, it doesn't feel like that while watching the movie because the journey is such a delight. Um, it's it's a struggle for the character, but for the audience members, it's not so much. Um, but even when yeah, it, we can't say too much. Even though I don't think it would be a problem if we did we'll but we'll we'll let the audience make that decision um but even when things happen or don't happen the way we expect to it's it's you just think how do you continue like what what where do you find the tenacity to stay in poverty the way you are and um God knows, you know, I've been there and uh, I, I didn't have the success of rent, mind you, not yet anyway, you but, will. Um, <laughs> you will. but it, it's delightful. Like, I mean, it's just wonderful to watch it. And I want, I, I hope I'm not throwing a curveball at you, uh, Judy, but did you recognize who played the agent? Yes. And now I'm having, okay. Yes, I did. You have to give me a clue because I'm forgetting the name, but yes. Who's the boss? Tony Danza. D- Tony Danza's girlfriend in the movie. Yes, yes, And yes. in the series, Judith Light. Yes. Who played the mother. So, so yeah. The, Who would have thought yes, to cast yes, yes. her? <gasps> that was brilliant casting. That was brilliant, brilliant casting. casting. Oh, mm-hmm. the agent, just the angst. What do you think kept him going? What was the thing that kept him going even after all the rejections and that poignant scene where he finally does the musical that doesn't do well? And what kept, what yeah. do you think was the single most thing that kept him going? I don't think he had a, an option. I think it was really just he had to do this. And, um, you know, it was like after he had, you know, Stephen Sondheim backing yes. him. You would think that's all you needed. <laughs> yes. You would think if you got that, 
But that wasn't the case. And how disappointing when you hear the agents say, I'm getting tons of calls. How great you are. I shouldn't try to do the voice. Uh, I I, I apologize. I was doing Judith Light. That's what I was doing. Um, uh, I'm I'm getting tons of calls, uh, you know, uh, and and, and, but that meant nothing. Yes, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I do. Before we leave the topic, I, I want to let you know, Judy, that Andrew Garfield has an interview, and I've, I'm, I'm not sure which late-night host it is, one of the contemporary late-night hosts, where he does homage to his mother who just passed wow. away. It is one of the most beautiful, beautiful things I've ever seen on YouTube. Wow, wow. And he does it while promoting this film, but it is oh. absolutely stunning. And if you don't love our, uh, Andrew Garfield for Spider-Man and uh, Tammy <laughs> Faye and Tick, Tick, Boom, you will love him after you see this. I think he's going to be winning some very serious awards, this guy, because he is just, he's on fire right now. Um, finally, I'd love to talk about Belfast, which is a semi-biographical story written and directed by Kenneth Branagh, starring Dame Judi Dench and Chiaran Hines and uh, newcomer Jude Hill. I haven't seen it yet. Can you tell us about Belfast? Belfast is absolutely beautiful film. It's it's uh you know it's a relatively uh, short film, uh, yet it's it's like only an hour and a half. But it is about the 1960s sort of uprisings against the uh, Protestants and Catholics. Now we're with a Protestant family that uh, is living in a Catholic district and all of their neighbors are friends. And this is in Belfast. And the Protestants come in and they start disrupting and and become very violent. Uh, And yet this family, led by Judy Dench and uh, the the other characters you mentioned, um, stand with their neighbors. And so it's a beautiful film of strength, yet it's also about childhood played by this young newcomer, Jude Hill, who is superb in this film. Um, but, you know, I really have to give kudos to the grandfather in the film, and I'm hoping we're going to see him at award season, Kieran Hines. Uh, he plays Pop mm. in the film. Uh, and it's just such a really grounded, wonderful character. The relationships between him and the grandmother, played by Dame Judy mm. Dench, phenomenal. This is a really touching movie. It reminded me a bit of Angela's Ashes, wow. except it wasn't so dreary. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I mean, I'm not saying Angela Ashes shouldn't have been, uh, you know, what it was, but this one just had a lighter feel, despite, you know, the violence in it. And it, it, it's not violent as in, in bloody or anything like that. It's easily watchable with your children. It's filmed in black and white. It's glorious. It's artful. It's it's touching. I really, I'm glad you haven't seen it yet, Judy, because I love thinking that you still have this little bit of joy ahead of you. <laughs> Me too. You just took the words out of my mouth. That's exactly what I'm going to do tonight when all of my shows are recorded for the day. I'm going to curl up and I'm going to watch uh, Belfast. Um, first of all, I want to say uh, congratulations on this upcoming book. I understand you have a book coming out later this year. Can you give us a little bit of a sneak peek of what it's all about? Well, I wanted to sort of write a uh, creative nonfiction. That is, so it, it's a true story based on my life uh, and sort of the avenue and roads I took um, and uh, some of the hurdles that were thrown in my way. Uh, but I didn't want it to be a I didn't want it to be heavy. I didn't want it to be a downer, even though the topic is is quite heavy and very serious. Um, and I th- hopefully, I think 
I've achieved that. At least that's the feedback I'm getting. Uh, so it is um, more of a memoir, um, less to do about film than I think people expected uh, who have read it. Uh, and and more about just sort of uh, finding a strength. And I didn't find it internally, although I might have expressed that, I might express it in the book, but through some of the people I met. And uh, I was inspired to write it after seeing the film Boyhood. And oh. uh, if you remember that movie. And Boyhood was a, a film where you followed this character really throughout his childhood into early adulthood. And what fascinating about that movie is how all these characters in this person's life affected them, either negatively or positively. And it made me look back at my life that way. And that's what I hope I, I captured in this book. So I'm really looking forward to this. It's with Dunder and Press. And thank you for bringing that up. Appreciate it. Of course. Will you come back again when the book is available to tell us more? Oh, as soon as it comes out, I'm going to be at your doorstep, Judy. You know <laughs> <Yay>. that. <laughs> I love that. What is bliss for Tom Ernst these days? Oh, there's so many things. It's just been really lovely. You know, I've the, the pandemic, of course, is terrible for all of us, uh, more some people more than others. I have to say, I really loved having my family at home. My wife has been working out of the house. My daughter's been home with school. Now, both of them would rather be out. But personally, <laughs> I love having them around and it's been it's so much fun. Um, I love the fact that there's a resurgence of musicals. Uh, film will always be my bliss. And I love the fact that I get to write for a living. It's, it's really just been incredible. And I will have to say, and I'm not just because I'm here with you right now, this has been wonderful. The opportunity to, to talk about what I love uh, to someone who seems to equally enjoy it as much as I do. That is blissful for me. Ah, thank you for saying that. That's so sweet. Thank you so much. Tom, what is the best way for people to contact you and connect with you on social media? Well, I do have a Facebook account, but you know, Judy, I am really bad at this. I can't ever remember what my things are. <laughs> I think it's at Real Tom Ernst is my Twitter account. If you can't find it, I'll, I'll, I'll research and do it next time I'm on. <laughs> we'll find it and we'll say it at the end of the show. Uh, <laughs> thank you at the end. I want to thank you so much, Tom Ernst. It's always such a pleasure. And it's, I think, especially special today. And I would say because we don't take things for granted anymore. And, and so we really don't take you for granted. We're so grateful to have you on the program. And so happy that you're here. Happy, healthy New Year. Can't wait to see you again soon. Thank you, Judy. We're going to go on a short commercial break and more with Finding Your Bliss and the uber-talented singing of Gigi. Stay tuned. You don't want to miss this. Back in a moment. Finding Your Bliss is brought to you by CREATE, Canada's leading fertility center for over 25 years. CREATE is here for anyone struggling with infertility or in need of assisted reproductive technology to have children. CREATE is about cutting-edge science from highly skilled doctors. In unprecedented times like these, CREATE is about ensuring the safety of all patients and staff. CREATE has made important changes to protect you by ensuring social distancing, wearing masks, as well as screening before entering. So what about the bundle of joy that you've been hoping would come into your family? CREATE Fertility Center is here for you. Visit createivf.com to keep up with the latest changes and learn about CREATE Fertility Center's comprehensive care for every fertility journey. Keep safe and healthy during these challenging days, remembering that life is about moments that we create together. We 
We are back and this is Finding Your Bliss on Zoomer Radio, AM 740, FM 96.7. And I'm so delighted to have Genevieve Marantet, also known as Gigi, back on again to sing for you all. What a treat to have this beyond talented torch singer Gigi here to sing while there's still time, written by Don Franks. But first, let me tell you a little bit more about Gigi. Genevieve Marantet also known as Gigi, was born in Leamington, Ontario, and known affectionately as Tomato Town. Her father is a farmer, and her mother is a musician and social activist. And as a child, Genevieve bounced around the north and south of Ontario, living communally and creatively. And that upbringing really helped nurture her free-spirited soul, which is full of sodad, and also her love of community, full of duenda. Genevieve spent formative teen years in Detroit, where her family roots go back 265 years. She credits her mom at Linda Girard and Detroit's rich musical history for her unique artistry. After completing a college jazz diploma in Toronto, she traveled and performed extensively in Asia and Europe before returning to Canada in 2014, where she now resides. Gigi has worked with Marc Hull, Theo Parrish, Recluse, David Clayton Thomas, Jane Sibbery, just to name a few. Let's all have a listen now to While There's Still Time by Genevieve Gigi Marantet. Due to international copyright law, podcasts are unable to include music. Music can only be played on the live radio broadcast. Finding Your Bliss airs every Saturday at 1 p.m. If you'd like to hear this artist's music, you can find the link to our Finding Your Bliss SoundCloud in the episode description. Gigi, that was spectacular. Oh my God. I can't wait to see you perform live again and in person on March 8th, everyone, at the Downbeat at 8.30 p.m. That's actually the day before my birthday and I will be there. Each week, we spotlight a singer, songwriter, or a musician on the show. If you're a singer, please write to us at music at findingyourbliss.com. If you're an author, artist, yoga, or mindfulness expert, or really anyone who has found and is following their bliss, we would love to hear from you. You can write to us at fyb at findingyourbliss.com. I'm also a life coach, so if I can help you, let me know. You can also reach out and contact me at findingyourbliss.com slash coaching. Also, I'm on Insight Timer, the number one free meditation app. And all you have to do is search up Judy Liebrach. And of course, you can follow us at The Bliss Minute on Instagram and Facebook. I want to thank all of our guests today, Tom Ernst and Tom's daughter for all of her wonderful suggestions. And thanks to singer Genevieve Gigi Marantet for her beautiful singing. Thank you to Mag Ruffman, producer Siobhan Kiley, associate producer Shelley Koskinen, senior editor Haley Allegia, editorial assistant Lauren Kaminsky, intern Beatrice Pardal Costa, and audio producer Faz Kazi and everyone here at Zoomer. And of course, a big thank you to our sponsor, the Create Fertility Center. For everyone here at Finding Your Bliss, I'm Judy Liebrach, reminding you to turn up the volume, close your eyes, and let the music take over your soul and take one step closer to finding your bliss. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.